in the last few weeks, I've had these thugs visit me and um, sort of dressed pretty ominously, very threatening attitude. And I wondered when a couple of them knocked at my door, really, whether they were mentally stable. I mean, you know, they, they just weren't acting like normal, loving, ordinary people might do. And they explained to me that I owed their money or the people they were representing money. And I explained to them very kindly that maybe they hadn't seen the notices and uh, I didn't and I wasn't playing the game. And I shut the door, locked it, make sure the back door was locked. And they shouted a lot. They said, we're going to call the police. We're going to cramp your car. We're going to do X, Y, Z. None of which they did and they left. I was wondering um, what what your comments would be on that situation if somebody because I explained this to a few people what I'd done and they said well you know that's you because you're you're sort of strong and you're a man but I'm little and small and I I could never do that but but I I, I think maybe could you put people's mind at rest that actually it doesn't matter if they're four foot six and a little old lady or something they they could uh, speak back to power and you know, res resist being bullied. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, first of all, thanks for having me on your program, um, Clive. Um, yeah, what, what I would say to that is uh, it doesn't matter how big or small or wide or thin you are. It's your confidence, okay? It's your, uh, the, the, the way you communicate with your body language and with your confidence and with your demeanor. So if you're a confident person and you're very calm, you've got to remember that these, these bailiffs, these so-called bailiffs, enforcement um, agents, um, they're nothing more than bullies. And what they like to do is intimidate you. So... The, the companies they represent, uh, such as the, you know, uh, council, um, parking, charging companies, um, the companies they represent um, don't actually have any power over you other than sending you letters, maybe making phone calls, emails, that sort of thing. If you ignore all those demands from them, <coughs> then their last line of defense and this is after they've gone through the courts by the way the so-called going through the courts it's not really i mean if it's a council tax it, it's it's a a hired court uh it's not a real magistrate or or judge um it's it's nothing more than a solicitor acting you know as uh, so like a, a private corporation so the the these sort of um so-called liability orders are, are a, a nonsense in the first place. But when they don't get anywhere with you, what they tend to do is they tend to send their intimidating-looking bullies out in the hope that you will crumble, because, let's face it, most people would crumble. Um, most people panic because they think that the so-called bailiffs, and, and we must first distinguish between a bailiff and an enforcement agent. Um, a bailiff is sent by the court, and a bailiff would be sent by the court to, for example, 
um, to uh, have you arrested and brought before the court. Uh, they sometimes use police and sometimes they use bailiffs. So a bailiff works directly for the court, not as a third party interloper or agent for another uh, corporation. If they're working as a third party interloper, as a, uh, an agent, they're essentially just an employee of that particular corporation. So if, if they're acting as an agent for uh, to collect money for the council, then they're subcontracted, so essentially working for the council to come and have a physical representation of the the, the fear uniform that they wear. So you know, generally all in black with the uh, the, the tactical vest, um, the patches that look very you know authentic, the blue patches with enforcement. They use uh, they like to use power words like enforcement for example um and uh, when they come out to you they're not a bailiff now they are a bailiff generally because they also sign off to the court to do stuff for the court but when they come to see you they haven't come to see you as a bailiff they've come to see you as an enforcement agent which is just an employee of the company they're um, they're enforcing for and like I say, their job is to to intimidate you by making you believe that, oh my God, I've been caught out. I can't get out of this. They're going to come in and take my stuff or they're going to take my car. Well, they can only take anything with your consent. And your consent doesn't have to be, yes, please take it. You know, it can be the fact that you don't stop them when they do take it then you've given them your consent. So if they come and they clamp your car, which is uh, a common thing, if, if your car's worth over uh, £1,350, which is the threshold, um, the, the second-hand market value of the car, um, if it's worth over that, then they'll put a clamp on it because it's not that they want to take the car, it's just that they want that leverage. Yeah, they want to scare you into saying, oh my God, I'm about to lose my car unless at the very least I come up with an agreement with them. So um, it's nothing but leverage. But the, the thing is, they can't actually take your car if you sit in your car, right? So if they do clamp your car and if you can't get rid of them and if they do decide, you know, call a recovery truck, grab yourself a pair of headphones or earphones um grab some sunglasses go and sit in your car lock the doors put on the headphones and the sunglasses the reason you put the headphones and the sunglasses is so that you can't make eye contact or be communicated with so uh, they can't try and you know catch your attention through the window or you know or, or you accidentally make eye contact with them if you've got sunglasses on they can't see when you're making eye contact if you've got headphones on, they know there's no point in shouting a load of nonsense at you and telling you a load of lies to try and scare you because you can't hear them. So um, you just, you know, look at your phone or something and, you know, watch something on your phone and completely ignore them. Now, they will only call police, right, if, first of all, they've been assaulted, okay? So if you shove them, push them, um, you know, sometimes they'll try and goad you into it almost in, in some cases. Um, 
and so um, they'll only do, they'll only call the police when there's you know you you actually put your hands on them, uh, and also that even though they have no right to call the police, they'll call the police if you get in your car probably, and they'll call the say right we're calling the police, then you're stopping us from doing your job our job. Well, you have a right to stop them doing their job. Their job is to come and steal from you, and your job is to stop them stealing from you. So um, you need to stand your ground, you know, and you need to not be scared of these people. They have no actual real power, okay? The, the power that they have is the power you give to them, okay? The, the energy that you give to them. So don't give them that power. Don't give them that energy. Now, the best way to deal with these people when, um, when they come banging at your door, forget about, first and foremost, about the car. Um, because like I say, if, if it gets to the stage where they won't take the clamp off until the recovery truck turns up, sit in the, as soon as the recovery truck turns up, sit in the car. It's illegal to move it with uh, a person in it. So you tie their hands. You have a right to sit in it because it's still your car. You're still, you know, if you was to pay the debt uh, in full the following day, you would get it back. So it's still your car or, or the car of your trust, your, your birth trust. Um, so you have a right to sit in it. They don't claim ownership of it if they um, so-called seize your car. Right? They don't claim any ownership of it. Um, they're not allowed to damage it or anything like that. They've got to take good care of it if they do take it. But like I say, you can stop them taking it. So simple. Sit in the car, headphones on, don't make eye contact with them, which is why sunglasses are helpful. Don't make eye contact with them, even with the police. Okay, just completely ignore them. They can't smash your window, uh, your car window to, to get access because otherwise they've got to replace that. You see, they've got to replace that damage. Uh, the police can't get involved because you're not committing a, uh, a crime. And if they get involved, then they commit a crime under Section 26 of the Criminal Justice and Courts Act 2015, which is a very, very serious offence uh, where a police officer creates a benefit or detriment to another, a benefit to himself or a benefit or detriment to another person. Okay, so if he if he allows the uh, so-called bailiff, the enforcement, to uh, steal your car, then um, without you know without doing his uh, due diligence or her due diligence, uh, then they've committed an offence. If they threaten to arrest you if you stop them, they're committing an offence because they're creating a benefit to the bailiff or, or the enforcement uh, and a detriment to you uh, which they're not allowed to do their job is to just maintain the peace and prevent any breaches of the peace anything else they cannot get involved in so they can't get involved in him ex executing a so-called warrant he has, doesn't have a warrant he has a so-called liability order and i say a so-called liability order because it's not a real liability order it's it's um, the whole thing's a con. It's a it's a bulk management thing, a bulk admin thing. So um, and it's not done in front of a real court. It's a hired court, a business court. 
So if they have no real power. So as long as you remember that and remember that they're coming to steal from you, don't be scared of them. Stand up to them. Okay. The best way you can do it is uh, how I tell people is to uh, only ask questions. So never, ever make a statement to them. That way you can't confirm who you are. You can't confirm your identity. And they have to get you to ide uh, identify yourself to create that legal joinder with that particular trust, birth trust, uh, that they're claiming the liability on. Because you could be anybody, okay? But it requires your consent. It requires you to declare yourself as that birth trust in order for them to be able to deal with you. It's not just about GDPR regulations. It's about getting you to, to identify yourself as, as the person that they wish to um, seek liability from. Uh, like I say, if you make those statements, um, then you can't create that joinder. You can't create that consent. If you only ask questions, and this is what I say to people, when you're asking questions, you are as king, you're as sovereign. Okay, so um, you are asking questions and they are obliged to answer those questions. Uh, whether they will or not is irrelevant. Um, now, it all works on the basis of obviously contract law, uh, financial law, all of that sort of stuff is maritime admiralty law. So, um, all corporations, all trusts, and everything are all operating in what is essentially the realms of the dead, okay? Spirits, essentially. Uh, comes back to the Seneca Act of 1666, where everybody was declared dead until proven otherwise. And they had seven years to prove that. Now, this obviously, Seneca Act of 1666, still on the statute books to this day. If you type it into Google, uh, you will see legislation.gov.uk, and you can read it for yourself. Your clusters beyond the seas. Um, and they use a lot of maritime terms when it comes to your birth. Birth, of course, derives from birth, B-E-R-T-H, which is a, a, a maritime term. Um, so your cluster is a dead entity. Yeah, um, They don't recognize you as a living being. They don't recognize you as a living, breathing, living soul. Um, as far as they're concerned, uh, what, what, what the Seneca Act of 1666 did was to, uh, obviously, uh, the, you had the Great Plague, or allegedly Great Plague, um, in 1665. And then in 1666, apparently, allegedly, a hot coal fell out of a, 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 an oven in a baker's in Pudding Lane and burned down the entirety of London. Now, of course, you could believe that, or you could believe that they needed to change the system and wanted to take everybody's stuff into uh, property, into trust, whilst these people, human beings, were declared dead, lost at sea, or beyond the seas, as it, it's declared. Um, so, of course, <coughs> They won't recognize you as a living being, no matter how much you proclaim to them that you're a living being. And the reason they don't do that is because they all act as dead entities, including the bailiff at your door. 
They're a dead entity. They need you to declare yourself as that dead entity so that they can then speak to you because the fundamental principle of dead versus living is that the dead cannot communicate with the living and the living cannot communicate with the dead. If you communicate with a dead entity, you're declaring yourself as a dead entity. You can only communicate with living beings and living beings were never meant to trade with each other. They were meant to share. They were meant to commune um, rather than trade. You know, you do this for me and I'll do that for you or you give me that and I'll give you this in return. It was never meant to be like that under nature, under natural law. Um, these are concepts that have obviously been created and invented and then, you know, programmed into people that everyone has a right to profit. That's not my belief. Okay, so I don't believe people have a right to profit. If they profit, they profit, so be it. If it's consenting, it's consenting. Um, personally, I'd like to go back to the old way of doing things, where we do things because of our humanity rather than because we profit from it, rather than because we're getting something out of it. Um, but of course, all of our lives, we've been indoctrinated by the educa so-called education system, which is really the indoctrination system. Um, we've always been taught to identify ourselves as a, a dead entity, as a legal fiction, right from our first days in, in nursery or at uh, primary school. Um, when they read out the register throughout your entire school life, they read it out to get you to program to identify as that uh, particular entity. And that entity is actually the name of, a, of your birth trust. It's a, it's a trust that was set up in your absence whilst you were um, lost in sea. So in your absence, if you, if you declare yourself as that trust, right? So my birth, uh, name was uh, my birth certificate is uh, David Paul Stewart. So let's use me as the, the example. So if somebody knocks at my door and says, Are you David Paul Stewart? or Are you Mr. Stewart? or Are you Mr. David Stewart? and I say yes, I've immediately answered his question. He's a dead entity, which means I'm a dead entity. And also I've declared which dead entity that I am which means that he can now deal with me, okay? Um, he can take any of my belongings, if I declare myself as that dead entity, take any of my belongings, simply because I've declared as a dead entity and my, you know, my um, birth trust isn't my birth trust. It's not mine at all. It's actually created by the Crown Corporation uh, with the authority of your uh, parents, um, but it doesn't belong to you, which is why it always kind of gets me when people say, oh, they've shared my details. It's like, well, they're not your details because you're not the only uh, settler, um, trustee or beneficiary of that birth trust. The Crown Corporation are also settlers of that trust. In other words, they can put things into the trust, which is why they put uh, money into the trust for benefits. So they were paying benefits into your bank, whether child benefit, universal credit, you know, tax refunds, whatever, whatever. 
um, they can put that into the that first draft into Mr. David Paul Stewart. And of course, I can withdraw that as the beneficiary of Mr. David Paul Stewart. Now, they're also the trustee of that trust, right? Um, in the absence of me, because there has to be a trustee. And of course, the trust was set up by the Crown. Uh, they are a trustee in order to be able to take tax from you. Yeah? That is settling the line. Uh, so a, a trust for anybody who doesn't know the, the job of the settlor or the grantor of the settlor, it creates the trust and puts stuff into the trust, puts assets into the trust, whether it's money or goods, etc. Uh, the trustee of the trust is responsible for settling all liabilities of the trust. So um, that includes when you go to the shop and you pay for your shopping. You are paying for your shopping with your debit card, say, for example, um, as the trustee of the trust, then you're receiving the goods as the beneficiary of the trust. Now, all trusts must work in the benefit of the beneficiary. That's how trusts have to work. They always have to, has to be for the benefit of the beneficiary. But like I say, you're not the only beneficiary, which is why the Crown can take their cut. They can take money directly from you. They can take, um, you know, they can pretty much do anything they want. Uh, that a trustee and a, a, a settler is capable of. Um, so, like I say, you don't own that trust, but they need to, you to actually declare yourself as the trustee. Because if you declare yourself as the trustee by declaring yourself as the trust, so by me saying, I am that trust, I am David Paul Stewart, yeah, I'm saying I'm a dead entity. I'm that trust, therefore I am the trustee. Now, how would you like paying? Is essentially what I'm saying. So when they come to your door and start banging on your door, first of all, they'll bang very hard and repetitively as a, a psychological trick, really. It's to set you, it's it's to set that natural urge to, you know, of uh, 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 not urge, sorry, um the the fear right so and the adrenaline get the adrenaline pumping so that you're more likely to crumble when they start questioning you um your your panic your your you know your heart will start beating your chest is pounding your adrenaline pumping they do that on purpose to get because you know if you hear bang 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 you know that's a bailiff that's not your postman you know what i mean you know that's a bailiff or it's the police and if you're not expecting police or anything, there's a good chance is it's probably a baby. Um, so like I say, that's a psychological trick to try and immediately unnerve you. Um, and then, of course, when you answer the door, uh, first thing they'll say, uh, Mr. Stewart or Mr. David Stewart, well, what you need to do then is only ask questions. Make no statements, only ask questions. So your response to that should be, who are you? They say, oh, I'm, I'm Jim from blah, blah, but it doesn't matter what they say, you're not actually listening, okay? Because again, they're a dead entity. You have to treat it like you're in a, like you're a living being in a haunted house, 
you've heard a noise you suspect there is a spirit there yeah that has come to see you or wants to communicate with you or wants to scare you out of the building or whatever and so you start asking the questions who's there what do you want why are you here okay it doesn't mean you're communicating with the dead so that's where this kind of loophole comes in if you ask questions you can still claim to be a living being yeah, rather than a dead entity. If you answer their questions, you've communicated with the dead. Yeah, you've responded to what they, they've said. If they go to hand you something, yeah, you don't take it. You pretend like they're, they're not there. Okay, So you just ask questions, and, and you can ask any questions. Start off, obviously, with relevant questions like, who are you? Where have you come from? Who do you work for? Who sent you? What is this to do with? Um, why haven't you gone yet? What's your favorite color? You know, what's the capital of, of Pakistan? What, it doesn't matter what the question is. What you're going to do is frustrate them because they have to create that legal contract. They have to get you to declare yourself. If you said to them, that's not me, yeah, first of all, you've made a statement, you're communicating with the dead. So now they know you're a dead entity. Yeah? Uh, they just need to figure out which dead entity you are. So um, you say to them, um, no, that's not me. Uh, then they're going to want to see identification, right? So, which is, again, you declaring what your birth trust is to them. So like I say, you don't get involved in any of that. You simply just ask them questions until eventually they will leave. Now, or, or they'll give up talking to you. If they've clamped your car, like I say, just wait, uh, keep an eye out. Don't panic about it. Don't worry. Uh, don't stress. Wait until um, the truck turns off and then go and sit in the car. Like I say, put your headphones on. Put your sunglasses on if you've got some. If you haven't, just look down at your phone and you know, be busy on your phone, but with headphones on. So nobody can communicate with you or try, you know, threatening you or, or it's, it's a futile effort. If you see someone with headphones on, you're not going to bother talking to them until they take them off. So like I say, that saves you a lot of aggravation, a lot of banging on the, 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 the window, a lot of uh, making all these empty threats to you and, and uh, trying to scare you into consent, really. So only ask questions. That's all you have to do. With the police, it's a bit different. If ever you're dealing with the police, it's, it's, you're dealing with it slightly differently. What you need to do with the police is to ascertain their uh, first name. Okay. Now, a police officer is not going to give you his first name. So the only way really you can ascertain his first name is to ask to see his warrant card. Uh, the last thing you do is ask him to identify himself, okay? Um, so uh, because he'll give you his shoulder number, which is his robot serial number, and you don't want to speak to a robot; you want to speak to a human, right? So don't ask for his collar number, don't ask for his surname or anything like that. All you need to do is ascertain his first name. Because um, once you do that, you immediately connect that human being inside. They, they, um, you're, you're referring to them as the name that they are after work, you know, that their, their kin and their family and their friends, their colleagues or whatever would refer to them as out of work. Um, 
if they've got a name that is a, a shortened version of a longer name, so uh, Rich or Rick instead of Richard, or um, Tim instead of Timothy, um, like I say, you can ascertain that first name simply by saying, can I just, before we start, can I see your warrant card just to make sure you are a, a warranted uh, police constable? And they'll show you their warrant card, yeah, because they don't know you're looking for that first name. Now, as soon as you spot that first name, that's the only thing you need to look for. Don't worry about what station they're from you know, what a warrant number is or anything like that, or even what the picture looks like. Just take note of that first name, because that's super important. Because like I say, that's what's going to get you that human to human contact and make them kind of malfunction with their training, with their programming. Um, so like I say, if they said, you know, if you saw on their ID, it said uh, Tim, then refer to them as Tim. Oh, nice to meet you, Tim. Yeah. What can I do for you, Tim? Then let them say what the issue is. And then when you want to assert something with them, you use the extended version of that name. So you would use, right, here's the thing, Timothy, right? Or here's the thing, Richard. Yeah. Or here's the thing, Matthew, rather than Matt. Um, and that is because uh, the reason you do that is because when you're asserting something, you're doing it in the same way as your authorities throughout your life would have asserted things to you. So um, even your parents, you know, even if they shortened your name when you were in trouble, they'd use your proper full name, you know? Um, when you're at school, throughout your schooling, they use your, your proper first name um, rather than a, a, a shortened or, or, or nickname. Um, so you're automatically programmed to respond to anybody using your official name uh, in, its, in its full length. If somebody refers to me as Dave or Davey, yeah, then I, that's kind of on an emotional level. Most people, I, mean, I, I refer to myself and other people refer to me as Davey, but never David. David is my official birth trust name. And as such, I don't really go by that name unless I'm acting as my birth trust because I wish to benefit from it somehow. So, um, yeah, if you can use their, their full name to assert something, then you're more likely to get through to them and get them to not feel so above you and so confident because police officers are trained to be above you. They're trained to command and control every situation they can only do that once they tap into that program uh the training that they did on how to do it you can subvert that completely like i say by using first of all their peer name the name that their peers use uh to speak to the directly to the human inside the robot uh, uniform and then like i say the elongated name if you want to assert something uh, so you do it like that and you always stay calm and confident whether you're dealing with police whether you're dealing with bailiffs at the end of the day they have no power until you give it to them okay um, if you don't give it to them eventually they will leave as you said yourself at the beginning um you know they ended up leaving yeah um and that's because their their threats and intimidation didn't work now the more you do this with people when they come around to you 
um, the least likely they are to come round to you in future. Okay, they'll pass it back to the council or the you know, transport for London or whoever it is that's that's chasing you, who's who's hired them. They'll send it back to them and say, you know, no, we tried, no good. Um, so they'll probably eventually send it off to or or implore, uh, employ another uh, enforcement company. So you'll find one day it's Marston's, another day it's Rossendale's, another day it's Jacob's, another, uh, do you know what I mean? So it could go from one to the other. But once they realise, eventually, once they realise that actually you're not low-hanging fruit, there's no point in going to your address because every time they go there, they're wasting their time. And there's, they could have collected from two other people in that time. You know, so um, th there's a lot of low-hanging fruit out there. And I say, don't be that low-hanging fruit, really. Don't be the low-hanging fruit. Stand up for yourself. Be confident in yourself because you have a lot more power than you realize. You're a lot more confident than you realize. You don't have to be a big, scary guy. Uh, you don't have to have a shaved head and, you know, be 20 stone and feel like a brick crapper house. Um, you could be a little old lady. If you're confident, yeah, that confidence will shine through. I can guarantee you a, 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 a feisty little old lady, they are going to be a lot more scared of than they are of me because they could strike me and say self-defense. How can they do that with a little old lady, you know, uh, these big burly blokes? So you've actually got more power if you're, you know, if you're no physical threat to them, then you've got a lot more power than you actually realize, you know. With me, they probably think, well, you know, if I push him enough, then he'll start shoving his weight around, which I don't. I don't need to. I stay calm, which completely unnerves them because if I'm calm and I'm confident and I'm not giving them what they want, they very, very quickly realize we're wasting our time here. We can't do anything. We can't force our way past him. They can't force their way past you anyway. There's legislation in place, so they can't do that. Um, uh, various legislation, in fact. So they can't physically touch you. Uh, they can't push you or shove you out of the way. They can only enter through a normal means of entry, so they can't get uh, climb in through an open window. You can have big windows wide open, and they can't climb in. Uh, if they do, they're breaking the law, and a judge would rule that uh, the debt be null and voided. Um, and there have been previous examples of that in the past. So um, you can have a look on the gov.uk website, uh, uh, look up uh, bailiffs, uh, bailiff powers or bailiff rights, uh, and it will it will tell you exactly what they can and can't do. Um, the times that they can't come out, so they can't uh, come between 9 p.m. and uh, 6 a.m., for example. Um, so once you get to 9 p.m., you know you're not, if you're expecting them, you know that, well, in fact, once you get to about half 8 p.m., because they can't come if it's expected that it might go over the nine o'clock. Um, if they come at about half, you know, let's say quarter past eight, half eight, and they're still there past nine o'clock, that's acceptable. But they can't turn up at quarter to nine and expect, you know, to only be there for 10, 15 minutes. Um, 
so therefore that would be deemed by the courts to be unreasonable. Uh, so they have, they're licensed, they have rules and regulations that they have to adhere to. They can tell you anything they want, yeah, and they will tell you all kinds of crap. They'll use all kinds of techniques, all kinds of words. We can do this. We've got a warrant here. We've got this. We've got that. No, you haven't. I'm not falling for it. They're just words. I'm, you know, what matters is what they can actually do, not what they say they can do. Okay, so completely ignore them because they're not going to tell you the truth. They're not going to be honest with you and tell you how they should be behaving, how the law dictates how they should behave. Also, they record these interactions. Um, so, um, uh, and, and whether they're recording or not, you should record. Don't feel embarrassed about holding up a phone in front of them. Don't feel like you're you know, you feel a bit shy about doing that, being a bit obvious, maybe I'll do it covertly. Do it obvious, okay? The reason you do it obvious is because they know then there's evidence of what they say and of what they do, okay? And if they, know, if, if they knew there was no cameras around anywhere, they could, stay, uh, they could say and do anything they wanted. And of course, it's your, then your word against theirs. And they're going to claim to be a responsible authority. You know, you're a defaulter of a debt. You know, don't trust you kind of attitude. So uh, always record it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> record the interaction. Then at least you're letting them know that they've got to now behave themselves because you've got evidence against them. Um, should it go to court for whatever reason or should the police be called and they're seen sort of throwing their weight around or pushing and shoving you? You don't need to put your hands on them. You don't need to shout abuse at them. You don't need to get angry. You, the calmer you stay, the more relaxed, have a, a, a half-cocked smile on your face, um, almost kind of cocky without being too cocky because you don't want to also play to their ego either because these a lot of these guys have got quite a bad ego problem. So if you start pushing their ego, then you know they're going to try fighting back with it um so yeah just just ask questions that's it ask questions and eventually they will give up eventually they'll say right are you this person or not who wants to know who who uh why are you still here who are you working for who is marston why isn't marston here where is marston why is he scared to come and see me do you know what i mean you could just Ask any questions you want. Keep it relevant or keep it irrelevant. At the end of the day, um, they're going to give up. You're already home. They've got a home to get to. But they've also got a lot of other people to get to because a lot of people defaulting on their, uh, uh, their, their credit agreements, their credit cards, their mortgages. There's a lot of parking charge notices out there that they collected on. So they're going to go after the low-hanging fruit. So again, don't be that low-hanging fruit. Show yourself to be calm, confident, uh, and ask questions. Uh, alternatively, what you could do is literally just stand there and stare at them. Say absolutely nothing. Just hold your phone and stare at them or stare at your phone and nothing else. And they'll be, they'll be like, are you all right? Are you okay? Are you going to answer? What's wrong? Why won't you answer me? eventually they're going to give up okay they can't shove past you 
it's a it's illegal it's unlawful for one not just illegal it's unlawful so they can't shove past you so stand your ground i say so um a few months ago i was in the bath having a nice bath when there are two men in my living room shouting we know you're hiding come out and uh there are these two thugs in my living room. Now, if that happens, I just had the front door open. They just walked straight in. Um, what what could I, should I have done there? I mean, if I said, well, I'm walking forward now with my arms outstretched, yeah. you're not allowed to touch me. Just giving you full warning that I'm walking, I'm doing it now. Please back up. Uh, would, would that have worked or would that... Or right. I'm communicating so, with them, and okay. So you say you've got a sign up, haven't you? You've got a sign up on your property, yeah. a no trespassing sign, and yeah. it's important that everyone gets a no trespassing sign. Download one, print it out, put it in your uh, in your window, uh, put it on a fence, where wherever. Um, it's important because every property has an implied right of access unless otherwise um, uh, made clear. Now. If you haven't got a sign, you can do so. You can you can make it clear verbally, okay, um, to say there's no trespassing. You're trespassing. Please leave. Now, if they don't leave, then obviously they're continuing to trespass. In which case, you have the right to use reasonable force, um, anything up to and including death, if ne if it was necessary. However, I wouldn't recommend that. OK, I'd re recommend use reasonable force by, as you've just stated, put your arm, stretch your arms out and walk forward. If you have to put your hands on them and push them gently, don't shove them in a, a jolt, just push forward yeah, and get them out of the door. Uh, now, of course, they'll ring the police, but you're protected because you remove their implied rights of access. They haven't ascertained who you are. They could have been walking into just anybody's house, okay? So they haven't ascertained who you are. They've just walked into a house and said, who are you? Yeah, and we know you're hiding and come out and all that sort of nonsense. Um, they have no right to do that. They're trespassing. The moment they saw that notice that removed their right, uh, implied rights of access, um, they became trespassers. Um, and so you can deal with them how you need to deal with them. Like I say, try and keep it as calm as you can. Only crank up the force if they if they uh, resist, um, and only to a necessary amount. That way, if when they call the police, which they will, because that's usually their cue to go, oh, I've been assaulted, right? That's it, ringing the police, we've been assaulted. Because they know if they ring the police and they haven't been assaulted, the police won't attend. Yeah, I've seen so many times, so many YouTube videos of um, enforcement officers ringing the police saying, can we have the police? Um, you know, it, I'm trying to execute a warrant. He won't let me in. And they, they won't turn off for that. However, as soon as you put your hands on them, they think, right, assault, that's it. You know, that's it. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm rigging. So, um, yeah, so let them ring the police. Explain to the police that they walked straight into your house. They were trespassing. There is a notice that removes all implied rights of access. If you do end up getting arrested for it, you won't get um, 
prosecuted for it. For one, the, the CPS are unlikely to take it any further. Uh, but if it did get to court, a court will see it in your favor. You had a right to defend your property from trespassers and you specified who the trespassers are and that you do not tolerate trespassers. So um, they wouldn't have a legal leg, leg to stand on. So yes, use force where necessary, but only where necessary. If they're outside your property, so if they're not in your home, okay, I wouldn't necessarily go for the use in force you know, just because they're on still on your private property, but just on your pathway. Because at the end of the day, they're not going to stay there forever. They've got homes to go to. Okay, If they can't get into your house, at some point, they're going to leave. Um, but if they come into your home, step foot in, then yes, use reasonable force and and crank up that level of force as uh, if and as necessary so um you would have had every right to shove them out of the door so is there any time <clears throat> when a bailiff can actually clamp your car let's say you haven't communicated with them can they legally clamp your car right uh well no, because they don't actually have real liability orders. They don't re have real warrants. So you could, if it, they know that nine, nine out, well, nine point nine out of ten people, nine point nine nine out of ten people, I would say, um, will not take it any further. Okay, like any abuse of their powers will not take it any further. It's only a tiny, teeny, tiny percent that first of all threaten to, and then the ones that actually do take it further. But if you took it further, if you went through the legal system, you will find that you could end up setting uh, legal precedents, or if there's not already legal precedents set. Um, I know there was legal precedents set with um, Regina versus um, Robert, was it Robert White, uh, 2022? Uh, where the plea, where they uh, the bailiffs had turned up to um, execute an eviction order, and the police were called, and the police broke into the home and ended up tasering Bob White. Um, now he went through; uh, he was end up ended up being found not guilty, <coughs> and um, it was judged that the police officers acted unlawfully. They 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 had no place to be breaking and entering into that property um they were creating a benefit to the bailiffs and a detriment to the householder so therefore they were you know potentially you know can be or should be prosecuted uh so yeah he won his case bob white um in 2022 um even though they, they tried throwing everything against him. Now, it was a harrowing experience for Bob uh, during the time, during the years it took to try and resolve the issue. Uh, his wife died. Um, so he had that, you know, and, and no doubt all the stress of the, home, the house being boarded up and stolen from them and, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the police action against uh, Bob. That obviously all had a, a detrimental effect, a negative effect, which no doubt led to uh, her 
uh, towards or certainly contribute towards their demise. Uh, so it can be a harrowing experience for some. However, it doesn't mean it's always going to be a harrowing experience. Don't fear being arrested by police. It's it's what they can do to you that that really matters. If you've committed no actual criminal offence, you've uh, these people are trespassed. Um, you haven't identified yourself. You refuse to identify yourself, and they're charged in anyway. Or you found them lurking inside. They've broken an entry, uh, breaking an entry. Um, they can only break an edge, well, I say break an edge, they can only come into your home if there is an implied right of access because there's nothing there to stop them. There's no notice, there's no verbal communication to say you are trespassing. So once they're in the home, they're in the home then, you see. So you need to take that uh, implied right of access away before they get into the home. That way, by entering the home, they're trespassing rather than entering the home legally and then you trespassing them, you see. So, yeah, if you're trespassed against in your home, use force if necessary. Give them every opportunity to leave, and if they don't, use force. Simple as that. And let's look at another thing that commonly affects people, um, things like parking tickets if 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 you were to get one would you just ignore it would you in any way respond to it what what's the simple way to make them go away okay so in my lifetime i've had probably about eight parking tickets uh never ever corresponded never ever paid one always ignored them and They've never got anything out of me ever over years. Okay. Um, I've never in my life paid a council tax bill ever or community charge when it was community charge or poll tax when it was poll tax. I've never ever paid the council for any of those taxes. Um, I simply don't communicate with them. Lots of people are advised, oh, write this three letter process. You can do this, you know, notice of conditional acceptance, all that sort of stuff. I say, well, no, I don't, I don't need to do that. I've decided I'm not currently acting as a trustee. I'm, I'm watching something on the telly instead, or I'm busy on my computer or whatever. I don't want to act as a trustee, thank you very much, just because you've demanded it. Do you know what I mean? And in the absence of me, the trustee is the crown. Go hassle the crown. Go knock on Charles's door. Do you know what I mean? Ask Quilla to, uh, Camilla to sell some of her pearls, you know? Um, because they're the trustees of that trust. I choose when to be the trustee of that trust. I'm, I, nobody can force me to be it. I choose when to be, right? So I've never paid TV license, ever. I've never, ever paid a water bill, ever. I've never paid council tax, ever. I've never paid a, um, a PCN, parking charge notice, or penalty charge notice, ever. Okay, I've had probably a couple of dozen times, uh, I'm 55 now, in my lifetime, a couple of dozen times I've dealt with bailiffs, not always to do with uh, me, I've dealt obviously uh, my sisters, and because none of my family are paid for council tax or TV licenses or water bills or, or you know, such like. I haven't paid for energy in two years. 
I haven't changed my meters. I, d I recommend not changing meters. Change your contract status, not your meters. As soon as you change your meters, your energy meters, you invite a whole load of trouble because immediately they go, all oh, right, you changed your meters. Now we can go and get a warrant of entry from an actual magistrate in an actual magistrate's court because all we have to do is go and claim the, the um, equipment has been tampered with and it now poses a safety risk to the public, you see. Uh, they're not going to turn around and say, although they have got a gas safety certificate afterwards, so, you know, it has been deemed to be safe. They're not going to tell the court that. They're just going to say they've tampered with the equipment, we need to inspect it um, and make sure it's safe and, you know, cap it if necessary. Can we have the permission? And of course the court's going to go, oh, well, yeah, they're messing about with, you know, equipment, then you know, potentially, I don't want to say no, and then there's a, a gas explosion and it kills half a neighbourhood. Do you know what I mean? So, of course, they're going to uh, do that. But they can't get those warrants of entry for, for debt. They can't get them for debt. So if they can't get them for debt, right, but they can't get them for a change of or tampering with their equipment, so they say, and it's not illegal to change your meters, by the way. I just want to point that out. You can legally change them, get gas safety certificate, etc. Um, all the right sort of paperwork you're legally entitled to. It's not classed as uh, theft of energy unless you bypass a meter system. So all energy has to be metered. Um, it doesn't mean it all has to be paid for. It just means it has to be metered. It has to run through a meter system. Um, if you bypass that and just get it raw from the supply, then you're committing offences. Um, so keep the meters they've got. If you're worried about, oh, yeah, but they're smart meters and, you know, there's radiation coming from them, just get a sheet of lead or something and mould it over the... Uh, lead is malleable. Mould it over the top of the smart meter and you'll block all the radiation from it from coming in, into the house. It will instead channel outside of the house up to the brickwork. So, um, yeah, don't change your meters, change your contract status. Don't, uh, and once you do, if you want to change your contract status, just contact your energy company, letter, email, whatever, do it rather than verbally so you've got something in black and white. <coughs> um, contact your energy company, say, uh, I wish to cancel my contract from blah, blah, this particular date. Um, and um, please, can you send me a final bill? Um, so then they'll cancel your contract then from that date, and then the, the contract would then go in the name of uh, the occupier, because there's nobody to actually attach you to. Um, so that means you haven't got a contract then, you see. <coughs> and um, they'll send you a final bill, and you pay it with a promissory note. Simple process. You're entitled to use promissory notes that you create yourself, which is just IOUs. You know, I'll pay you this amount of money, but you've got to come to my house on a particular date to to collect an instalment of that of that amount. They're perfectly legal. They're protected by the Bills of Exchange Act 1882 and defined in Part Four of that Act. Um, they're covered by Lord Denning's ruling in Fielding and Platt Limited versus Salim Najjar, uh, 1969, where he declared, and I quote, 
we we have often said in this court that a bill of exchange or promissory note must be treated as cash. It must be honoured unless there is some good reason to the contrary. So that was stated in his um, uh, in his ruling uh, in relation to promissory notes, uh, which basically means that it must be treated as cash. So you can use it to pay off a debt. You can pay off your mortgage with a promissory note. Um, fill it out with a payment schedule. You can collect this much each month. And I recommend to people don't go if it's for a mortgage for over a hundred thousand um, pounds make the make the monthly payments around 50 pounds okay now somebody could uh, i've had people say to you before but hang on a minute if i owed a few hundred thousand pounds i'm only giving them 50 uh, 50 pounds a month um then you know that i wouldn't live that long would i but i say to them well you're why are you worried about how long you'll live? You're talking about dead legal fictions, dead entities, and dead entities don't have lifespans. Yeah, that's why in Scientology they uh, they get their sea cadets to sign a billion-year contract, and it's legally binding. You know, because nobody knows about the future, whether you're going to be brought back to life, whether you're going to be reincarnated and prove your reincarnation, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Nobody knows. So when it comes to the realms of the dead, i.e. all things legal and financial and um, uh, to do with admiralty law, there is no lifespan. I could go out tomorrow and get a um, a 99-year lease on a property, yeah, but I'm 55 years old. Uh, so how can I get a 99-year lease at 55 years old? I'm not going to live to 154. But it, it doesn't stop it because, like I say, there's no lifespan in the realms of the dead. Um, so, yeah, settle it with a promissory note. Settle all of your debts with a promissory note. Yeah, each, send each one a promissory note. Because a promissory note, it becomes a, according to the Bills of Exchange Act 1882 Part 4, it becomes a negotiable financial instrument upon creation, signature, and delivery not upon acceptance okay so acceptance isn't an element of it it can't be refused as i said from the uh, unless there is good reason to the contrary why it shouldn't be honored um, according to the case law so it's protected in law and i i got contacted over the last few days i've been contacted a lot with a particular guy on from the uh, who was interviewed on was it the Sovereign Project I think it was or, or, or something like that, um, but um, yeah, this guy Damien he was saying, oh no, you can't use promissory notes. Only banks can issue promissory notes. Uh, you can actually go to prison for you know um, uh, for uh, for fraud yeah, if you produce promissory notes. And I've had lots of people sending me that clip and say, David, what's going on here? You, you know, you're teaching people about promissory. I said, well, it's an utter nonsense, an absolute utter nonsense. If you weren't allowed to create a promissory note, what you do in signing checks, what you do in signing credit agreements, a check is an on-demand promissory note. Okay, you promise to pay on demand as soon as that check is presented. They are that gives authorization 
for the bank to to settle that uh, that outstanding debt. Uh, a credit agreement is a payment schedule promissory note. It sets out the amount owed, the um, the payment schedule, so how much is due each month, uh, what the interest rate is, and whether it's variable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and your signature gives it its life as trustee of your birth trust. So promissory notes do work, okay? Promissory notes do work. They've been used for hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years. Businesses use them between themselves. You can use them because your trust is essentially a business, okay? Mister, uh, the, the title of Mister comes from the word mystery, spelled M-I-S-T-E-R-Y which is an old English word meaning uh, trade or art. So mister means trade in this, when it, when it comes to you, when it comes to your title. Uh, Mrs. is actually a bre an abbreviation of misters. Now it doesn't mean belongs to the man, it means of the trade, of the mister, okay? So, um, and, and it's like I say, the mister bit doesn't mean man, it means trade. The uh, missus means of the mister. Um, so, um, yeah, you're nothing more than a corporation acting in commerce, uh, uh, a trust. And once you realize that, you can realize, you realize how to negotiate your way through life with what you need to take note of, what things you, you know, you, you want to be a beneficiary of that that birth trust. Uh, you are forced at times to be, uh, almost every day, to be the trustee of that trust when you go out and you do your shopping, because let's face it, the Crown Corporation are not going to go and buy all your shopping for you and deliver it to you so you can act as the beneficiary of that trust. Uh, so they leave it for you to do. You have the authority, you have a bank card or cash that you are paid your trust was paid paid to you um from maybe your earnings maybe you took it out the bank from your trust uh it was probably money that you earned or your trust earned rather your labor but your trust got paid it you know they paid it to your trust your birth name not to you um so you then go and spend that money as the trustee and you receive the goods and consume the goods as the beneficiary of that trust. Um, so uh, I've kind of lost the, the track now about what your original question was. So um, have you got any more questions on that or what to do with promissory note or you're mute at the moment? Thank you very much. But the question would be uh, how simple can the wording on a promissory note be? Is it just literally a couple of sentence or two? And if somebody uh, wanted to attend to cancelling their mortgage or not paying HMRC their tax, um, how do they go about these, these things, which of course are very scary because they've got their legions of enforcers, which everybody is scared of. Uh, should should they be scared of the legion of enforcers? What 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 really goes on with taxation? And you know, if you decided you really didn't want to support 
the war effort and everything that yeah. is spent. Well, um, there is, of course, two ways to deal with any debt, you know. Um, you could either argue that, you know, prove liability, prove this, prove that, okay? Um, and they're going to come up with all kinds of legal jargon and whatever and convince a judge that, you know, they've proven it, yeah, because you're, they treat you as quite illiterate, um, especially when it comes to the law. The other way of dealing with uh, well, I mean, that way of dealing with it, you're going to get constant battles, you're going to get, you know, court appearances, you're going to get all kinds of harassment. So for most people, that isn't really an option. Okay, for most people, it's like, no, I don't want them chasing me. I don't want them coming out saying, oh, no, we can take this, whether you like it or not, you know, and having the authority to do so, because they can enforce, uh, sorry, they can use force to gain entry to a property for three different things, and only these three things. Um, that is uh, income tax is one of them criminal court fines or stamp duty, okay? Those three things, if you owe any of those, they can use force to gain entry to your property. Now that doesn't mean they can use force against you, they can't do. They can only, they, what it means is they could use a locksmith to break into your home rather than only being able to enter through an unlocked or open door uh, or gate. Um, so, um, they can't climb over a fence, that's illegal. Uh, they can only enter through a normal means of entry. But like I say, to a lot of people, they don't want to go through all of that hassle. So to those people, I say the other way to deal with it is to pay with a promissory note. Um, I produced a promise, uh, my own promissory note. If people want a, a copy of it, they're welcome to um, email me, Davey, D-A-V-E-Y, at peaceofficers.uk and I'll respond with the templates that they need and a list of instructions as well on, on how to produce one, what to fill in, what to say, what to do. Uh, so there's a, a 10 step instruction I'll put, uh, put in the email. Um, so yeah, feel free to contact me and I'll respond by, so you can print out your own as many as you want. Um, but filling it in is quite simple. You, it just needs to have the information of where the note was created. Um, so, for example, you would just use your address. Uh, the date the note was created, the amount on the note, the amount in words, just like you would have on a check. So you'd have the amount in numbers and you'd have the amount in words. You give the note a note number, and it's a number that you decide, you choose. You can use a combination of numbers and letters. It's your, it's your serial number for your reference, uh, which you put on the note um, and then record, you know, in your, your paperwork. Um, then you, you put your full name, and you don't use any of this, you know, Joe of the family blogs or any, any of that sort of stuff that frustrates me a lot of the time when people sort of go oh no i'm a living man you know joe of the family blogs well you're not if you're declaring yourself as joe of the family blogs because first of all blogs i'm just using that as an example blogs 
is a surname and a surname is a surety name and a surety is a financial term okay so it refers to a, a series of dead entities of trusts um hu living human beings don't have surnames living human beings the, the, their surnames derived from things like Johnson, as in Johnson, and you know Ericsson and, and such like, or or the trade that they, so it was John the Baker, which would eventually become John Baker. Um, so uh, you know most of the names sort of uh, stem from uh, like the trades that they were doing, and and really just to distinguish them between you know different Johns, for example. Uh, but they, 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 they didn't actually have surnames hundreds of years ago. Uh, the surnames were created as surety names as the name of the trust. Uh, so if you've got that name of, your, of that trust, of that birth trust, anywhere in your name, you're declaring yourself as one of a family of dead entities which is ridiculous you, you can't be a living person and a dead entity at the same time you can choose when to be one or the other but you can't be both at the same time now where they make the mistake they say well i am joe of the family blogs um i am writing to you blah 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 well who are you writing to you're communicating with the dead yeah, you're writing to dead entities whether it's the council or <clears throat> the DVLA or your local MP or whatever, you're writing to dead entities. If you're communicating with dead entities, then you're a dead entity. Okay, it's think of yourself as Bruce Willis in the sixth sense. You don't realize you're dead until the end of the film. Yeah. Um, so you stand, you don't stand under common law. Common law is, is part of admiralty law. Okay, the Magna Carta was a contract. It's signed by the barons, and a baron is a title. Okay, and a title is a title deed, and a title deed is a legal uh, construct. It's it's not for living beings, um, but it was uh, a contract between the barons and the Crown Corporation, or the current CEO of the Crown Corporation at the time, which was King John. Now. King John obviously proclaimed to the Pope that um, he was under duress, fear of his life, to sign the um, Great Charter, the Magna Carta. Uh, and so the Catholic Church deemed that they wouldn't recognize that contract. Um, however, it ultimately is a contract. And if it's a contract, it's covered under admiralty law. There are no contracts with the living. There is no trade with the living. The living share, okay? That's what the living beings do. They share. They don't sell. You know, they don't trade. They don't act in commerce ever, okay? If they do, they are then dead entities that they're acting as, not living beings. So to say I am a living being, Joe of the family blogs, and I am communicating now with you, the council, well, the council are not a living being. The council are a dead entity. And if you're talking to them and getting a response from them and responding to that response from them, you're communicating with the dead. Guess what, Bruce Willis? You're dead. Simple as that. So my suggestion to people is 
Sort it out with a promissory note. Get all your debts sorted out with a promissory note. It's the ones that matter. The ones that don't matter, don't worry about. You know, they'll keep chasing you. After six years, they become statute barred, which means they don't appear on your credit record, uh, on your credit file, and they can't be uh, enforced. They're no longer enforceable. So they're essentially white, they're white clear. And I've had that before with uh, Lowell Financial services um where uh, you know the debt became statute barred and eventually it was just i told them i'm not paying you they rank they used to ring me up almost daily and i'd answer the call every so often i'd just ignore it i'd say oh it's just lowell again ignore it uh, but then they'd try again later or the next day or the next day and eventually i would answer and they would say uh oh can i speak to mr uh, stewart please uh so who's speaking and they'd say, oh, this is Lyle Financial um, Services or, or whatever. Um, uh, could you just confirm the first, uh, your full name and the first line of your address? Which is them saying, can you please contract with me? Yeah, create, you know, declare yourself as the trustee of your birth trust so that we can then impose a liability upon you. So my response to that was, I don't give out my details on the phone when people call me, if I make the call, yeah, I'm happy to confirm any details I choose to confirm. But when somebody calls me, I don't confirm any details. And they go, and they said, well, we, we can't speak to you then. I said, well, stop bloody ringing me then. What are you doing ringing me if you can't speak to me? That doesn't seem to make any sense. Now, of course, at the time I'm communicating with them, I'm acting as a dead entity. They just can't determine which dead entity. They don't know if they're talking to Mr. Stewart or Mr. Bloggs, you know, and they have to determine that. Not just be, not because of GDPR regulations, uh, you know, data protection. That's not the real reason. Just like they don't re record your call for security and uh, training purposes, but, you know, security, the word security, it's a financial term as in securities, okay? So they need you to act as security for your financial trust by confirming you as the trust, yourself as the trust, giving your surety name, therefore now we can deal with the liability. So don't deal with that liability with them. Um, but I say, if you do wanna deal with it, if you do wanna get them off your back, pay with a promissory note, pay them all the debts with a promissory note. Pay off your mortgage with a promissory note. If you're on an interest-only mortgage, what's, what's you know, 100% interest of zero is still zero. Do you know what I mean? So as soon as you paid off the actual mortgage itself, your payments each month will be zero because there's, there's nothing to pay. Um, and as soon as you've issued that promissory note, it becomes a, a tradable negotiable financial instrument uh, on the international uh, financial markets, the bond markets, um, which means that um, uh, that's upon creation, signature and delivery. So once you've got proof that it's been delivered, yeah, it's then active. They can't refuse it. Now, often they will, they'll reject it. We don't take promissory notes. You don't have to worry about that. Your remedy will come through the court. Okay, so you you want to pay off your mortgage, 
right? You send them a promissory note for the full amount. You find out from them what's the full amount. Ring up your mortgage company and say, my auntie Flo, she said she's going to pay off and settle my mortgage. She wants to write a check. Yeah. Um, if she was to do that, I need to tell her how much to pay off the mortgage in full. All fees and everything. What's the final amount that will settle the mortgage? And whatever amount they tell you, that's the amount you put on the promissory note. Then ask them, who do you send the check to? Who, which department? What's the address? Yeah? And who in that department? Now, you don't want the name. You want the job title, okay? Because the name can change. Yeah, they might go to a different department and, and so on and so forth, or they might not work there anymore. Um, so you, you go to the job title, whether it's the account manager, the chief financial officer, but you should be able to establish that on the phone with the, um, uh, the your mortgage lender. They should tell you, okay, you need to send it to this department, make it, you know, I don't know, accounts manager or chief financial officer or, or, or whatever. Um, so make them believe that you're paying with a check. If you say, I'm going to pay you with a promissory note, they're not going to be helpful at all. If they think they're getting an on-demand promissory note in the form, pardon me, in the form of a check from your auntie Flo, yeah, very generous as she is, um, they're going to give you all the information you need. Yeah, they'll happily help you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <clears throat> so, like I say, you send off that promissory note. You don't cancel your direct debit. Okay, what you do is you wait for them to take the next payment. Yeah. And then the moment they take the next payment, you contact them, you can ring them up, contact them and, and record the call, contact them and say, um, I'd like that money back, please. You've taken it in error. Now, of course, they're going to refuse, in which case then you say, right, well, if you're not going to give that to me, return that to me, being that I've settled the debt already, because you have, with a promissory note, you've settled the mortgage. The mortgage is now done. Now all exists is a different debt, an unsecured debt for the exact same amount as the mortgage was, right? But it's no longer a mortgage. It's no longer secured on your property, yeah? The mortgage is settled. And because the mortgage is settled, the land registry must be adjusted accordingly by law, okay? So if they don't do that, they are breaking the law. Um, and they must obviously sign over the title deed. Uh, to you. Um, let's say they're not going to want to do that. So they're going to hope that you give up on it and you've just taken some advice and then they say, no, we reject that. So then, you know, that's the end of the matter. You go, oh, right, it doesn't work. That's it. I tried it, failed. Yeah, they're lying to you. Okay. It's, um, it's a common thing. They lie to you. Um, all you need to know is that the case law protects it and the Bills of Exchange Act. 1882 protects it. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter what a person uh, behind a, a desk says. Um, it only matters what a court will say. Now, once they take your next payment, right, for your mortgage, say, you know, a thousand pounds or whatever it is, 500 pounds, thousand pounds, whatever your mortgage might be. Uh, once they take the next payment and they refuse to give it back, you then immediately start, go online and start a small claims uh, in the county court 
uh, process against them. Costs around £60, I think, to start the process. Um, and then when it comes to court, you make the claim for all of the money that they've taken in the time between the, uh, the payment of the promissory note, the you know, delivery of the promissory note, uh, if you sent them the promissory note the day before, obviously, the direct debit comes out, then, you know, you can pretty much say, well, uh, wait till the next one after that. You haven't really given them enough reasonable time to process. You can still say, oh, I made the payment yesterday, so um, can I have that money back that you, you've literally just taken the next day? And, you know, you you legally you would be able to do it but then at the same time there would be some sympathy for the fact that that would have been processed days ago and was automatic so um when it comes to like i said uh, it, it's best to do the promissory note after immediately following the last payment that you made on your mortgage um follow that up with the promissory note and then wait until they take another payment then start the small claims process. You will get the liability order in your in your favour, um, because, like I say, the case law, the, the court will be bound by the case law of Fielding and Platt Limited versus Selim Najjar, um, and and the body of the text that was in that case law declared by Lord Denin. Um, but once you get that, you see, you can also ask the judge. For uh, to issue a direction, which is for the mortgage lender to correct the land registry and issue you with the deeds to the property. So you get resolution through the courts, and then it doesn't matter what the mortgage lender says or Bob or Karen on the the other end of the phone. Um, it's irrelevant. They're going by procedures, processes that they've been told about. They, they know nothing. Um, it's the courts where you'll get your remedy. Uh, once you get your liability order, then cancel your direct debit. Because then they can't chase you. They can't send bailiffs. They can't apply to the high court because the case has been dealt with in the court and the, the judge would have deemed it or the magistrate would have deemed it. Uh, actually, it'd be a judge, not a magistrate. A judge would have deemed it to be um, that they unlawfully, illegally took money from you, right? Proving that your debt was settled, that there was no money that they should have taken. Um, so that's all the proof you need then. And then your mortgage is done, it's dealt with, it's settled. They have their promissory note. It's up to them to then sell that on the international bond markets or to come and collect on it. If they want to collect, if they want to spend £60 or £100 to send somebody out, pay for their fuel, their hourly rate, um, the, the use of the, the vehicle and whatever, the hire vehicle for them, they've got to bring the original promissory note. They can't bring a photocopy. They can't bring a, a scan of it. Okay, It has to be the original promissory note, just like a bank note. Okay, you can't pay for goods with a photocopy of a banknote. You have to pay with the original banknote, and it's only redeemable as the original banknote. Um, so it's it's the same with your promissory note. Well, 
no company, no financial institution is going to give that very valuable promissory note worth potentially hundreds of thousands of pounds to a collection agent to come and collect 50 pounds on the first of the month or whatever date you've set as your payment schedule. Um, so they're never going to collect on it. You force their hand. They're never going to collect on it, which means the only other option they've got is to sell it. Yeah? And if it's worth £100,000, they may get five or ten grand for it. That's fine. They haven't lost anything because you created the money into existence when you signed the promissory note in the form of a mortgage. That, that was essentially a promissory note, credit agreement. Uh, you created the money into existence with your signature. They then added that to their bookkeeping and then lent you that money and said, you've got to pay it back to us with interest, right? So they haven't lost a penny. They still make on it. They make the interest, but they hold the value of that note as well. So when you think it's cost them, you know, maybe 20 30 quid maximum in in actual admin fees uh printing out the mortgage agreement and the you know the time it takes to get somebody to witness your signature and process it um <coughs> anything after that is profit to them so if they sell that promissory note for five grand even though it's worth 500 grand if they sell it for five grand, they, they're five grand up. You know, they haven't lost a penny. So, like I say, these you can settle any debt whatsoever with them. Any debt whatsoever. Don't go settling your um, the slate at your local uh, grocers. You know, the the guy on the corner who's let you have a bit of a tab uh, until you get paid. Uh, don't you know? Don't don't use it on people like that. Use it on corporations, uh, mortgage companies, car finance companies. You know, pay off your car finance um, with a promissory note. Uh, pay off if you want to. If you don't want the the hassle of having bailiffs coming to your door, enforcement coming to your door, pay off your council tax with it. Pay off your parking charge notices with it if you want. Uh, pay off anything, any debt whatsoever, as long as it's an already established debt. You can't take a promissory note to a bank and cash it and put it in the bank. It's not that kind of payment. Okay, It can only be traded. So either that promissory note can be used to pay for goods directly or goods and services, £100,000 worth of services, or it can be sold to be used. And a lot of people would think, well, why would a company buy, why would a bank or a financial institution buy your promissory note if they can't collect on it? It's because of what it's worth to them. So if you've created a promissory note for a £10,000 um, uh, credit card debt, um, that note is worth £10,000 to that company. And they only paid probably 500 quid for it right um on the international markets but now they can add it to their portfolio they can add it to their bookkeeping so now they've got ten thousand pounds which according to fractional reserve banking they can use as security to lend 
£90,000, so nine times what the face value of that is, nine times that in uh, under fractional reserve banking, um, which means it's very valuable to them because that's lending money they don't have, right? And of course, that they will make interest on and get back, uh, which they didn't, and all they need is 10% of that to, you know, to act as security, which your promissory note does. So these are valuable assets, promissory notes, and you create them with your signature, you know? So do it, use it. You know, don't let anybody tell you you can't. Don't let anyone tell you it's nonsense. The case law is there. If you don't believe me, look it up. Google it, you will see. Fielding and Platt Limited versus Celine Majar. Take note of Lord Denning's ruling, okay, of what he said, uh, which is the, as I said, you know, must be treated as cash and it must be honoured unless there is a, a good reason to the contrary. And that good reason would be it's missing the signature or, you know, the date format is wrong or the, you know, the, there's uh, incorrect information within it. It can't be rejected on the grounds of payment preference. That's the most important thing. So you will have the council say, well, we accept checks and postal orders and direct debits and, you know, debit and credit cards as payment, but we don't accept promissory notes. Well, that's a nonsense. You just said you accept credit and, and um, sorry, checks and postal orders. Those are promissory notes. <coughs> um, they're just, you know, written, handwritten or printed. Um, but because of Lord Denning's ruling, if you accept cash and all of those things like a check is treated as cash because it's as good as cash. It's an order to pay in cash. And, and that's what a promissory note is. It's, uh, it's a promise to pay certain in cash is the terminology used in the um, Bills of Exchange Act. So pay off all your debts with promissory notes. You know, print out as many as you need. If you've got half a dozen different debts, pay them off, yeah? Um, if you've got CCJ, even better, you're in a great position with a CCJ or a charging order because it's already gone to court, which means you only have to satisfy the court. So once you've paid, um, sent to the, um, the creditor, right, the promissory note, uh, where there's a CCJ involved or a charging order, um, you then fill out, um, you, you take photocopies of what you've sent the covering letter and the promissory note. Uh, and you send that to the court, the issuing court, the CCJ issuing court, um, along with uh, form N443, which you download from the gov.uk website. Um, fill that in, that's for a certificate of satisfaction slash cancellation. Um, one, uh, you send your proof of payment, so your, like I say, your photocopies, along with uh, proof of delivery, and that's most important, proof of delivery, to prove that it's been delivered, which then kicks into effect the Bills of Exchange Act, and the fact that it's now not just a piece of paper with ink on it, it is now a negotiable financial instrument, a document that is worth 
the face value of what's written on it. Um, so um, you fill out, uh, as I say, uh, send off to the issuing call N443, along with a, a check made payable to uh, HMCTS, His Majesty's Court Tribunal Services, for £14, which is their admin fee for uh, processing form N443. And then eventually it will take some time because courts are very, very slow in responding, especially the admin courts, the administrative courts, very slow in responding. So it could take some weeks in some cases, it could take you know, a couple of months or so. But eventually you'll receive a certificate of satisfaction and automatically your CCJ will be marked on your credit file as settled which means that although the CCJ will remain on your credit file, the fact that it's no longer marked as default, but is marked as settled, will give you a, a points boost on your credit score of approximately, I think somewhere between 60 to 100 points, um, which will enable you to get credit, obviously, you know, where you might have just fallen short of the fresh, uh, threshold before. So settling your debts with promissory notes is a good way, especially if you've got uh, defaults against you on your credit record, um, are, are a good way to actually boost your credit score, as ultimately they will do in the end. Once you've settled the debt, once you've proved settlement of the debt, um, and, and the, the whole thing's been dealt with, then you can even contact the credit reference agencies like TransUnion and um, Equitas, is it? I can't remember the other one. Or Experian, I think it is. Experian. Um, contact them and say, uh, raise a dispute and say, you've settled this, here's your proof, blah, blah, blah. And they will then obviously intervene and, and correct the records. Uh, if there's a CCJ, they'll check the court records, the court files, which they do every month anyway automatically update so once the court has updated their records the um, uh, credit reference agencies will automatically have their records updated and like i say it'll do your uh, credit score the world of good and do you have some sort of remedy for probate because the uh if somebody dies the government take, I think, 40% of what should be somebody's inheritance. You know, their dad, mum has worked all their lives, paid loads of tax. Is, uh, is, is there any way that one can get the probate that the government have stolen back? Um, I mean, obviously, the uh, I, I don't know about what, you know, getting it back from them sort of uh, if you've got somebody who's alive um then obviously you know they can create a will um but also i i would say probably the best remedy in that situation while someone is still alive if they're if they're concerned about what's going to happen to their wealth after they die and whether that's going to go to where it should do or how much the the government's going to make on it the best thing they can do is set up a private trust, like a family trust. So they don't actually own any of that anymore. The trust owns it. And you've named the beneficiaries of the, uh, the trust. Do you know what I mean? 
Because once you've done that, it doesn't matter who dies then, the trust still exists. Yeah? The trust hasn't died, the trust still exists. And as long as you've got named on there the trustees and the beneficiaries and you know settlers of the the trust, then um, uh, and executors of that trust, then um, yeah, that that is one way to protect your your wealth and to make sure that your family can access that wealth and the government can't. Really. Um, as for you know taking on probate and dealing with. It's not something I've looked too deeply into, to be perfectly honest. And so I wouldn't want to advise on something that I've got sketchy knowledge on. The, the, the only stuff really I say with confidence is stuff that I can say with confidence, you know, and, and stuff where I've really deeply researched it, looked at it from every angle, pulled it apart, pieced it back together and see, you know, what changes. And, um, promissory notes are the ultimate remedy to any financial situation but when it comes to wealth afterwards because of course if i've got i mean if you've got a lot of wealth it's it's your it's your trust your birth trust that has the wealth if the only two beneficiaries of that birth trust is you and um the crown corporation then once your body washes up from being beyond the seas, i.e. they find you, yeah, you're dead, you turn up dead, and then suddenly, magically, they can see there's uh, what was a living body is now a dead body, uh, and then they'll bury you, you know, but, um, turn your ashes, all that sort of stuff. Um, but then that means that the Crown Corporation becomes the sole beneficiary of that trust. Right, of that particular birth trust, which means that everything goes to them. So you're one seventy millionth of the of the nation's GDP that you're entitled to, your birthright by uh, it being managed by the Crown Corporation in trust in your absence. Um, it's um, it, it all then goes to the Crown. They're the only beneficiary. And, you know you're not there to to um, argue against that so if you've given uh if you've made a will you when you make a will you're making a will you're making wishes as a uh trustee creating liabilities for the trust right so when that goes to uh probate whatever's in the will obviously has to be honored you have to honor the, the terms of the will of when they were alive and in, in sound mind because they were acting with the right authority to create those liabilities to their dependents, right? Um, who then became the kind of beneficiaries in a sense, um, which means that your word stands. Yeah, they've got to honor that, but anything left over obviously belongs then to the beneficiary of your birth trust, which then after your death is obviously the crown. That's where the crown gets most of its wealth from. You know, once you die, it's like they take your portion of the, and somebody else is born, they're entitled to a portion of the country's wealth of the gross domestic product of the United Kingdom PLC. 
which is set up on the back of the company that runs for the benefit of the beneficiaries of birth trusts. So um, it's quite a difficult one. It can be quite a confusing one for somebody who's new to this to kind of understand. We're using a lot of sort of financial terms and birth trusts and, and such like. But once you grasp the concept of the realms of the living and the realms of the dead, you find it an awful lot easier to understand and how they separate that and, and how the, they um, keep the fraud going, really, how they, they keep this whole fraudulent system alive. And it is an entirely fraudulent system. It's, um, if they fail to recognize your living status, unless you come forward within the first seven years of life, and claim your living status. Well, I don't know of any seven-year-old has ever heard of Tesco VS1566 and knows that they need to come forward and claim their status. Plus the fact when they do, who do they claim it to? The only, uh, you know, they can only claim it to a living being. Therefore, they can only claim it to the sovereign of the nation. So the king and the queen. Um, Anybody else is a dead entity. Anybody else is a legal fiction, a dead entity. And for you to declare it to them and them acknowledge that, you acknowledge their acknowledgement, you claimed yourself as a dead entity again. So it's a, it's a bit of a catch-22 situation. But good luck getting an audience with the king or the queen to declare yourself as your living being and prove life. You know, anything else is just dead entities. They see you as a dead entity at all times. Doesn't matter if you say to them, but I'm a living man. Well, you're telling that to a dead entity. So you're speaking to the dead. So you're not a living man. You're Bruce Willis in the sixth sense. So uh, it's incredible the information you're giving. Um, you, you, you mentioned about uh, Lowell or somebody ringing you up all the time. Yeah. My understanding, and this is what I've been doing over the years, when I was getting harassed on the phone, I would say to the people, this is harassment. If you call me again, I'll be calling the police. I mean, yeah, you could do it. You can do it. Or you could just, you could be personally, I mean, it's, you know, I could get annoyed at people banging on my door, but I don't. Instead, I take a different attitude and say, yes, I can help you. You know, what are you here for? Who are you? That kind of thing. With TV license, it's very simple. I just open the door, uh, and they go, oh, hello, uh, grab the card um, from TV licensing. I go, oh, no, thank you, not interested. Nice little smile on my face, shut the door. That's the end of it. They're not allowed to knock again because that's harassment, okay? You've been, they've been told, no, thank you, that means no. I don't wish to contract with you. And then they go. So the only time they will get people, yeah, is when people think that they've got to be there. They think that they've got to stand there. Oh. Going off. Um, yeah, they, they, they believe that, oh my God, I'm trapped now on my doorstep. I've got, I've got to answer their questions. I'm obliged. I've got to answer whether I've got a TV or not, whether I watch live TV. No, you haven't got to do any of that. You haven't got to speak to anybody you don't wish to speak to. That's what you have to understand. That's what you have to realize. Okay, you have more power than you realize. So exercise that power, realize how powerful you are, and then exercise that power. 
you know? When the police turn around to you and they say, uh, if you don't give us your details, we'll arrest you, then you've got to give your details. Well, that doesn't make bloody sense, does it? Because the very first line they'll read to you upon your arrest is, you do not have to say anything. Well, there you go. So how am I obliged to say something when I'm not obliged to say something? It's, it's, it's a complete contradiction. They will say all kinds of things to lie to you, to cheat you into agreeing to their terms and conditions. And the trick is to work that out. The trick is to realize that it's all tricks and not to fall for those tricks, not to fall for their, for their lies. Ignore their lies and stick to your guns. Stick to the way you're dealing with it and the way you choose to deal with it. You know, And as long as you're not dealing with anything violently or abusively, you will get results. You will get results. Eventually, they'll give up on you. Eventually, they'll go away. Eventually, they'll, they'll say, that's, uh, that's pointless. We're wasting our money, and nobody's reimbursing us for that money that we spent on fuel banging on their door, you know, having to travel. Because they, they won't be neighbors. They'll be from many, many miles away. Some of them come from, you know, all the way from bloody Wales or something, all the way to Sussex to see me. Do you know what I mean? They'll do a half a dozen others on the way, on route. But that's still an awful long way coming out their way to see me. Um, that could be time better spent, you know, going to see low-hanging fruit who will pay up or agree to pay up, uh, either in full or with a payment plan or by harassing their family and friends on the phone under pressure of, you know, we're taking this if you don't. So don't believe what they say. Don't create a uh, joinder with them. Don't give them the satisfaction. Simple as that. Um, I want to thank you very much because clearly you're helping an awful lot of people. Is there anything that people might be able to do to help you in, in any way? Uh, yes. Keep, fight these people yourselves because you're doing me a huge favor by doing that, okay? Because my ultimate aim is to defeat these people, right? And to teach enough people how to defeat them where they become so powerless, they don't even bother turning off to people's houses anymore because everybody will have realized what the, what the scam is and the fact that they haven't actually got any real power, you know? So, so that's what they can do for me. That, that benefits me. Everything everybody does benefits me. Everything I do benefits everybody. We're, we're one uh, organism. Yeah? Human beings are an organism. Everything I do affects you. Everything you do affects me, eventually, in the ripple effect. So, yeah, just keep doing that. Keep pushing against these, uh, these bullies. I don't need anything from anybody financially or anything like that. I don't charge for the advice I give and the time uh, I take. My time is free. It it's, belongs to humanity the way I see it, yeah? not to legal fictions and to, to dead entities and, and fraud. It belongs to my fellow humans. It's, it's my duty to help them, not to profit from them. I'm trying to get them out of debt, not create more debt. So I don't take donations from people as, as kind as they are. I don't take donations from people and I don't ask for anything uh, other than your persistence in fighting these people because only when so many people do this yeah when they pay with promissory notes 
the word gets around and it spreads like wildfire, you know, it spreads so quickly. And before you know it, their entire system could come crumbling down just by me talking about promissory notes and teaching people how to use them. And people going, oh my God, I didn't realize I could actually do that. That's that simple, really is that simple. And it's perfectly legal and it settles the debt. And I don't have to worry in fear anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's very enlightening. That's, that's all you need to do. We're, if we're forced to operate into the, in this corrupt system, into their matrix, okay? Oh, go away. Uh, if, if we're forced to, to deal with the matrix, this corrupt system, this fraudulent fake system that we live in, um, we need to figure out how to negotiate, right? how to play their game, how to manipulate their program. And this one way to do it, uh, uh, to do it, you know what I mean? What I do, teaching people to empower themselves, is one way of doing that. It's my little kind of way of getting at them and, and bringing them down. And hopefully, eventually, I mean, the system will crash one day anyway. It's just our job to make it happen sooner rather than later. It's always designed. Every empire falls. Every empire falls throughout history of humanity, every empire falls, and humanity always, always wins.